Imagine getting to know the most successful women influencers in business and commercial real estate today. Hi, I am Veronica Malolas, CCIM, founder and CEO of Capital Stack Real Estate Group, a commercial real estate company serving the greater Orlando area. By bringing the unique stories of successful women on my podcast, my hope is to inspire and motivate other women in the different stages of their lives or careers. For corporations looking to increase their female talent pool, perhaps this will open more doors for women in their industry. I invite you to tune in and be inspired. Remember, if they can do it, you can do it too. National public speaker, commercial real estate badass, friend and colleague, Dina Zimmerman is an award-winning broker and vice president in the SBN Chicago office. Dina's focus is on tenant representation, specializing in high-quality retail, investment, and development properties. She is co-chair of the SBN National Retail Council and the 2024 National Association of Realtors Commercial Real Estate Liaison. Tune in to my podcast entitled Women Influencers in Business and CRE with my guest, Dina Zimmerman. Good morning, Dina. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so honored. Thank you. Thank you so much for for gracing this podcast. I I mean, it, it really means a lot to me. You know, when I think back as to when we met, it's actually only been like a couple of years, right? And I remember being in the C5 conference in New York City, sitting in the audience and out walks this really majestic woman on stage. And there you were, Dina Zimmerman. And I would have never known that we could, you know, we could become like friends like we are now. So this is really amazing, Dina. And, And I can't wait for the audience to actually hear about you know, your story and, and everything else that that's so exciting and interesting about you. Oh, you are so sweet. So let's start with your story. I'm sure that there are many things about you growing up in your environment and, and you can talk about which state and the dynamics of your family and how that kind of helped you or not, um, you know, in your career. So So tell us a little bit about that. I love that you asked this. I was talking kind of briefly about this with somebody the the other day as it relates to my mom, who I just think is a total, like, she's a badass. Awesome. She just didn't have the opportunities. I did, right? So I I grew up in Southern Minnesota. I'm actually from Rochester, which is the home of the Mayo Clinic. And that's where my mom actually worked. And my dad worked in construction and they got married in the late 60s. And I say this, it's important because they both grew up in small farm towns. Yes. And my mom, I think her graduating class, let's say there was maybe 20, right? So wow. a handful of women at best. And I, I'm grateful when I was in high school, we used to go for walks all the time. And she she actually shared things with me, which I'm really grateful she did. I think to all the moms and even the dads out there, especially with your daughters, tell them stories, right? Yes. And, and like the, the truth and there shouldn't be shame in things in anything. And my mom had said pretty much all the women, like they graduated. And then the women she graduated with, almost all of them immediately went to city hall and got married. Oh yeah. Yeah. And she didn't want to do that. So she, and she was in a small farm town. So she and a couple of girlfriends got an apartment in Rochester, which was like the big city. Yeah. And she started dating my dad 
maybe when she was 20 or 21. And she said, you know, she loved him, but she wasn't necessarily ready to get married. Hmm. But back then at 21, she was considered a spinster. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, you know, an old maid, (laughs) she called herself. So, so they got married, but they waited seven years to have me, which back then that's like a really long time. And I'm so grateful for that. Cause she, I go, why did you wait so long? Cause she goes, we don't want to have kids. We wanted to go have fun. Oh, how and you know, I love that she shared that with me, but she, you know, never had the opportunity to go to college and always wanted to go off and see the world. And my dad actually didn't even graduate high school because um, he had to help on the farm when mm. um, my uncle joined the army. And so from the time I was a really little girl, yeah, I never had the choice if, to go to college or not. I, w- I was always told I had to go, right? Yes. And, and my mom made sure that I went away somewhere to college because she wanted me to have the whole experience. And I'm so grateful for that. And I originally went to college. I wanted to be an athletic trainer. And, you know, I love sports and football. And it was a very competitive program. So I wound up getting my degree in psychology at the University of Minnesota. Go go for Nice. <laughs> and I just assumed that I, you know, I love to help people. And I thought my life's calling was to be a therapist and to help people. And so I graduated high school and I guess I should, or excuse me, college. And I guess I should say all the way through high school and all the way through college on my, um, my breaks, when I went back to Rochester, I worked at this video store. Mm. And you know, was it, they did, was it Blockbuster? <laughs> it wasn't Blockbuster. It was called Super. It was called Superstar Video, and there was like five locations, and wow. that would have been a Blockbuster competitor. And it was interesting because you know, obviously, it was VHS tapes, and then it was yes. the Blu-rays. Remember those days? Yeah. And they sold equipment and so on and so forth. And so it was a great job. You know, I was a great worker, very hard worker. So my boss Ed always said, you know, whenever you come home, you got a job. So when I graduated college, you know, I said, well, until I find a job, you know, can I work here? He said, absolutely. So I started interviewing at all of these different therapy places. And it was really frustrating because the pay was crap and they were terrible jobs. So one day I went interviewed at a a men's adults home facility, you know, where men with mental disorders had to live in this home. And the guy interviewing me said, do you bruise easily? And I said, I actually do. I'm like, why are you asking me this? He goes, because you're going to have to restrain people. Oh, like, gosh. That's still not what I signed up for. <laughs> no. So I was, I was totally crestfallen, you know, and I actually walked into, you know, the video store right after that, completely defeated. And Ed said to me, why are you not following your life's like calling? I go, what are you talking about? And at this time, he was doing, he was very revolutionary because he was actually doing what we see now, what Redbox does, you know, how you oh, Redbox yeah, yeah. so he was creating these little like circular kiosks or whatever in gas stations and convenience stores where people could rent videos. So he was, he, I would go with him and I would help sell. That was my job. And he goes, you're a great salesperson. That's and awesome. I always had sales jobs all the way through high school and college, even beyond the video store. And he goes, you know, you can help people in sales, be yourself, be authentic, be honest. My dad yeah. always told me, all you have is your name and your reputation. And if you don't have that, you have nothing. Yeah. And it was it, like my world, I felt like my head exploded. My world burst open when he said that. Wow. And right. I could. So I wound up getting a job with combined insurance, which I, I literally went door to door 
knocking on doors, pulling farmers off of tractors. Wow. Um, um, disability insurance. And I helped a lot of people because I helped a lot of people file claims and be able to pay their bills when they couldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Well, the other important part of that job was it was all male dominated. I was yeah. the female in pretty much the whole state. And, you know, I got a, and I was most of the, my family are male cousins. So I, you know, I can handle and, you know, you're male dominated too. So you get it. Uh-huh. I just, I knew that was an industry I liked, you know, the male dominated. It, it wasn't easy. The no. misogyny, especially back in the nineties. I look back, I'm like, wow. But I could also, I had a thick skin and I could, I could do it. And I, for the most part, stuck up for myself. Anyway, I was transferred to Chicago which is where the headquarters were, but I didn't stay there too long. I knew I wanted to move on to something else. And I wound up getting a job at a real estate trade publication. And this was oh. like four oh five. And I sold advertising to all the big developers, the banks, brokers, you know, title companies, you name it. And it was a great entrance into real estate. What, what year was that? That was in 04. Ah, so it was really, and I was there 04 to 07. So the real boom in real estate. It's important to note that this was a residential trade publication and I instantly loved real estate. And I, and it was like that aha moment. I'm like, this is what I want to do. So while I was working there, I got my license, but I also knew I didn't want to do residential. I didn't want to do open houses. It felt too emotional to me. You know, I'd been in this very professional male dominated industry before. And our sister publication was a to this day, it's a very prominent commercial publication called Midwest Real Estate News. Uh-huh. And I want to kind of, I started wanted want, want to cross selling because some of my developers did both residential and commercial. Sure. And I started going to some commercial events, and there was a developer that I wound up becoming very good friends with. To this day, I'm friends with him. His name is Savash, and he said, "You really need to do commercial real estate." And I'm like, "I really think I would be great at it." But it's two at this point, it was 2007, and so we knew this big recession was. Yes. Limited. And I said, am I crazy to have like this job where I have a salary and commission? I'm jumping right into commission. He goes, listen, he goes, the only guarantee really in life, let alone real estate, is that we're going to have up cycles and we're going to have downturns. Correct. And if you can learn to carve your niche and make a be successful in a downturn, you're always going to be successful. Plus, a lot of us aren't going to be busy here shortly and people will have time to train and mentor you the right way. It's awesome. And it was the best advice ever. It's funny because now that the world right now, it's, I don't think it's ever going to be like it was then, but you know, we've got inflation issues and all of these things going on labor force and what have you. I'm mentoring a lot of young women and they're asking me the same question and it's fun to be able to answer it. Oh, the same yeah. way. Amazing. So, and I'm grateful yeah. I did it because I, I feel now I'm, I'm more, I'm better equipped to advise my clients and we do. We help people. I use my degree in psychology. Every day. <laughs> oh, we, are, we are daycare. We are mothers. <laughs> we are therapists. We are supporters. We are team members. We are all of it, right? Yes, yes. And and I bet you the client sitting across the table from you, oh, they can't win. <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's awesome for sales. Yeah, yeah it's that, awesome. That, that's great. That's great. And then from, from that commercial publication, you went into... Did you go to like a commercial real estate company after you got your license? 
I did. So I jumped right into a brokerage that actually was one of my advertisers. And when they caught wind, I got my license. They said, you've got to come work for us. And it was just a very small boutique commercial firm. And, you know, this is where it's important. I jumped right in Mm -hmm. and he made me a lot of promises that right away did not come to fruition. Yep. Within two weeks of being there, I knew I made a huge mistake. Ah. And I cried and I cried and I cried, but my dad always taught me. And again, I don't know if this is the best advice, but at the time I listened, you know, you really should stick something out for a year. And I thought, well, you know, it could get better. You, you can't just quit. And I did, I did give it a year and it was a horrific experience. Uh. I'm really grateful for that though, because you know what I say to my clients sometimes when they keep turning down properties, if I send them to them. Sometimes the more no's leads to the greater yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They say it takes nine no's before you can get to a yes. Yes. And so for me personally, if I get to the fifth no, I know I'm getting closer. (laughs) You're getting closer, right? (laughs) The same goes, I think, for for the red flags. You know, the red flags were always there and I listened to them and I learned what not to do. And that's yeah. just as important as what to do. And I, I made the decision going into ICSE, the Vegas, my first ICSE in Las Vegas. I was going to take that as an opportunity, not just to find ways to do more business, but to find my next great brokerage. Sure. And, and for the for the sake of the listeners who are not familiar with ICSC, oh, yes. it is an organization, right, that actually is providing education and conventions, really, to put, to bring brokers in retail and yep. developers and landlords and, and tenants together. Am I correct yep. in that? Correct in that. Yep. And they have a large right. convention in Las Vegas, which typically has 30,000 plus people. Yep. And then they have lots of regional conferences throughout the year too. So everybody, the whole of commercial real estate is there. And I thought, well, what a great opportunity to you know find my next great brokerage and to put myself out there. And that's sure. what I did. Yeah. And and is that where you found your final commercial brokerage or did you go through so many others after that? You know, I haven't been through, I mean, technically I've been through with four, but really with three. And why I say that is because the next brokerage I went to was called Helios Commercial. Again, a really small boutique brokerage that had a little residential arm and the guys who ran it were also investors and they were to this day, my greatest mentors. They were, they taught me how to do business the right way. And when people are new in the business, how to bring them along with you and to teach them the right way. I mean, they really gave me the foundation. So I was with them for a couple of years and we wound up merging with the larger firm called Jameson Commercial, which I'd always wanted to work at Jameson. And that's a very large, well, there were 50 of us in Chicagoland. And at this time is when I was starting to get more involved with the National Association of Realtors and just expanding my network. I'm I'm very large into networking. Yeah. I get referrals off of it. And I find that I, I can be a really, I want to be a really valuable resource for my clients. And through all of that networking, just the, the amount of people in my network, I can tap into people no matter what your question is. If I can't answer it, I guarantee you, I know somebody who can. Yeah. And speaking of the National Association of Realtors, I am so thrilled because next year I'm going to be the chair of the Commercial Research Advisory Board at NAR and you are our commercial real estate liaison. And I'm I'm just 
so so thrilled to be working with you in that capacity at least with, too. With we're so lucky to have you too as a chair oh, it'd be amazing thank, but thank you through that through NAR and just through I started I do a lot of tenant rep I do work with landlords and developers both helping them lease and sell their property but a big portion of my business is um, working with tenants who are looking to lease or purchase property I work with a lot of franchises and so my my work at that point wound up going more national and I needed a bigger platform, you know, to, to be able to do my business properly. So in 2000, 2015, I went to Sperry Van Ness, which is now known as um, SVN. And I've been there for eight years. Oh, wonderful. And you are the senior vice president for SVN Chicago. Yeah. SVN Chicago. Yes. And then I'm also the retail product council co-chair for SVN nationally. So they have, what's really cool about SVN is they have product councils because it's a full service brokerage. So they have retail, they have leasing, they have office, capital markets, you name it. So it's been really great to be the face of retail for SVN on a national level. Congratulations, boy. You know, that's, that's so wonderful. And you're a keynote speaker, right? I see you, you're invited in in so many stages and I'm just so proud of you, Dina, because you're really fantastic on, on stage. And I can just imagine, boy, if I was across the table from you doing a negotiation, (laughs) that's going to be right. Quite an experience. So congratulations on that. Now I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on perhaps the challenges that you had along the way. Mm-hmm. And I know that you had mentioned the very first firm, the commercial real estate firm was a horrific experience for you. So, and I don't know whether there was something in particular you wanted to talk about as far as how you overcame that challenge. Uh, what was the environment or scenario that that made it so difficult for you, perhaps because you were a woman in a male-dominated organization? Talk a little bit about that. Definitely had to do with the fact that I was a woman. I was mansplained, uh-huh. talked down to. At that point, you know, I was in my early 30s and I hadn't found my voice yet. So I didn't know how to speak up, yeah. which was, you know, I look back and and, and I know a lot of women in that age group A, but also in that stage of their career, because I'm, I'm mentoring some now, they have a really hard time speaking up. Yes. Um, and, and knowing their worth and value, especially as it relates to commissions, I was taken advantage of with commissions a lot where, you know, I, I should have fought harder for what I deserve to be paid for. Yeah. And, you know, it is what it is. I think those are experiences you learn from and, and yeah. you get to a certain point in your career and also certain maturity and age and what have you. And if you don't stand for something, you fall for everything. And listen, it's not easy climbing on that soapbox someday or some days I should say, but you do it because it's for the greater good. Cause I think about all of those who are like, I almost feel emotional about this. Like those who come behind us, we're doing this for them, right? Yes. Doing this for that Dina, you know, 14 years ago who couldn't, who couldn't speak up. And I want to look at her and say, we got this. We got yeah. this, right? Yeah. So so how did you eventually find your voice? Was it through that experience? Was it after you moved from that boutique firm? Or was it just throughout that, that journey? You know, it's interesting you say that because I was, I actually noticed, I was so kind of halfway through the journey. I was in a meeting with, actually I set up a meeting for a client of mine. And just to set the scenario, she owned shopping centers, primarily in California. 
she and her brother ran a a very successful business there with these shopping centers. They also owned a bunch of property in India, which is Mm. where they're from originally. They moved to Chicago, brought their firm there and wanted to start investing in Chicago. So I was connected with her and found an off-market property from a very well-known gentleman, old white man. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yeah. And of course, because I was a female calling him, now he didn't know my client was a female, but I called on behalf of her, talked about this property. I think it was like five or 6 million. Because I was a female, he insisted that I meet with him in person with my client so he could grill us. <laughs> Thinking that your client is a man. <laughs> yep. So, and of course we had to drive all the way to the suburbs, you know, he, and like he made us run, go through hoops and on purpose. And then actually called my broker, the guy who owned my company, because they were friends and actually asked if I was legit Hmm. because again, being a female. Yeah. And so I prepped my client for this. I said, listen, this guy, this is what he's putting me through and he doesn't even know you're a female. So let's just be prepared. She's like, no problem. We're going to have some fun with this. (laughs) Go and meet with him. And he looks at me and he looks at her and he's like, well, you're clearly the assistant looking at me looked at her and said, what are you, the broker? And, you know, where's the client? Oh my God. I'm the broker. This is my client. We're going to be running this meeting. Okay. (laughs) And he said, can she even afford $5 million? Doesn't even look at her. And I'm like, did I not tell you, you know, what other property she owned? And it was the first time I realized I'm like, just because of the way I look and the fact that I'm a female, you, you can't talk to me that way. But also, as we know, and I realized very quickly, when I was in more meetings and more pitches, for example, you know, to this day, I'm still primarily the only female in a room. Yeah. And you you know that, right? You you know, I learned, that's when I learned, I got to ask who's going to be in the room. I wind up doing a ton of research on those people. You know, the most important thing is connect with everybody before you connect with them on LinkedIn. I Googled people. I figured out who I was dealing with. And then I had to make sure that I was always three times more prepared. And to this day, I have to be three times more prepared than a man because I've seen it happen. Men are in a room and if one makes a mistake, they kind of let it go. Yeah. If I say something wrong or make a mistake, I am pounced on. That's right. So you can take that as a negative thing, but you know what? What is wrong with being the smartest person in the room? Nothing being, at all. Being <laughs> overprepared. Over I yeah. think there's something wild that's, you know, you could say, oh, it sucks. I have to be overprepared. There is nothing wrong with being overprepared. We all should be anyway. That's right. That's right. Man or woman, we should be overprepared. We should be overprepared. Yes. And I have found that the, a lot of these guys really respect me for it. And that's now why they're asking me and tapping me on the shoulder. Like, can you run this meeting? Because the way you command an audience and the way you speak, yeah, they're going to listen to you more than they're going to listen to me. And yeah. I think, you know, there's the triumph right there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's really where we can really think back about our challenges and how we overcame them and think at how strong our voice became because of yep. it. Right. And, yeah. and, and is it is it I'm assuming that it is through those same experiences that you found your voice. Yes. Am I correct in that? It is those experiences I found my voice. For myself personally, I think just getting older and dealing with all that stuff and realizing one day I just, I'm done putting up with this, knowing that I had to get on the pedestal, 
you know, the soapbox, whatever, and be a real voice because it's not fair. And personally, I went through a really terrible divorce in 2017 with my husband had a really hard time with me being successful. Yeah. That's a challenge for a woman. It it's is. a big challenge. It's yeah. a big, because he was with me before I became successful and had a really hard time with it, um, was, was mean and verbally abusive and tried to always damper me down. And to be honest, I, I did shrink to make him feel better. And that yeah. didn't make me feel good. And after that, I realized no more. Yeah. I, I, someday I should thank him for this because I wound up unleashing after that. And mm. just, I won't put up with, I won't put up with that treatment anymore. We, yes, we deserve as women and as human beings, we deserve the best and to be That's seen right. and for our voices to be heard. I'm tired of continuously trying to drag, you know, my seat to the table Yeah, for a seat at the table. I always say, if you're not going to give me one, then I'm going to make my own table and you're not invited. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I know you mentor other women. So yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about influence. Now, the title of this podcast is Women Influencers in Business and Commercial Real Estate. Now, in this particular instance, you would be in both business and commercial real estate. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about how much of an impact you've made on, for instance, a group of women that you've talked about mentoring just, just lately. So I, and I have to give credit. So there's a woman in, in Chicago, her name is Goldie Wolf Miller, and she's she's an icon. She's a legend. I think she's in her late 70s. Forgive me, Goldie. I don't want to like overstep your buttons. <laughs> um, and she, she, like many women, there's another woman I know too, who they had to start their own firms mm-hmm. back in you know the 70s and 80s because nobody would hire them because, yeah. right? And like ICSC, they didn't even allow women to attend that conference until the late 80s, okay? Yeah. So this was the landscape, young ladies who are watching this right now. So, you know, and it's, and it's crazy because it's a very recent past, right? So it's very. not... You think about it, it's 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 really just, you know, not even 50 years that no. that women have advanced in industry and business. So yeah, that's that's really um, it, it is a really recent past to think that these women who are who are my mentors who weren't allowed to go to the same conferences I can. I mean, it's that this is like one generation apart. And you're a key, and you're your keynote speaker. <laughs> Right. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm actually going to be speaking at, I'm actually going to speak at ICSE next week, which is, you know, a female. Wow. But you know, Goldie, what I love about her is she knew how challenging it was. And so her entire give back was creating a foundation, um, raises money to give women scholarships so they can get their masters in real estate. Wow. And it's called the Goldie Wolf Miller Women Leaders in Real Estate Initiative. And they're partnering not just with colleges in Chicago, but around the country. So in 2010, I was introduced to her by my other mentor, Ginger Downs, who at the time was the CEO of the Chicago Association of Realtors. And they were on a panel that I put together for women in commercial or for women in real estate and women just influencers. Last minute, they asked me to moderate the panel. And I was terrified of public speaking. What? I used to, I used to, I used to throw up. <laughs> no joke. Okay. And I'm like, you're going to make me moderate Goldie Wolf Miller. Are you kidding me? And it went so well that she came up to me afterwards. And just so you know, I'm six, two, for those who don't know, and Goldie's like five, two. And she grabbed me 
And she said, you need to be a part of my program of mentoring. She became my mentor. She's the one who encouraged me to go to a larger firm like SVN. And this program is all about mentoring women, helping them interview and supporting each other, finding jobs. And I just knew that that was my life's passion and that's my life's calling. And I'm 49 years old now. And that's my mission, you know, for the really for the next 10 years is bringing up those next women leaders and, and telling my story of all the things that happened and protecting them and also teaching them to use their voice because we need to use our voice more. Yes. And, and also to not be afraid of things. I was terrified of public speaking. And so anytime I was asked to do it, say yes, say yes, yes. to the things that frighten you because that's where you learn and grow. Are you going to make mistakes? Are you going to fumble? I was on stage once and I sounded terrible. It's okay. You get back up, you shake it off and you wind up going and, and you, you speak again and you talk with authority and it helps you in pitches. And that's just one example of speaking publicly, but it's also finding your voice wherever your voice is and your passion. And if you enjoy what you do every day, you're going to make a difference. What, whatever, whatever your asset class is within commercial real estate, right? Yeah. 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 Amazing. And, and of course, you know, finding your voice and, and giving yourself an opportunity to do public speaking increases your confidence it's in everything 100%. that you do. You know how to overcome fear yep. because that's the biggest thing is that people are afraid, right? And that that actually stops them from doing what, what they were called to do. And I find that I do better business-wise when, I do, when I'm in a pitch because there's that comfort level from speaking publicly. Also, it's about being authentic because I remember yeah. there were a few times I was on panels early on and I would be asked a question and I'd sit and think, I was always you know, myself in the answer, but sometimes I would hold back because I'm like, well, maybe somebody won't agree with that. It doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. This is how I feel. And in order to be an authoritative voice, you have to be the voice. It's like being in a room full of people and raising your hand and saying the thing, oh my gosh, I'm going to either sound stupid or maybe someone's going to disagree with me. But if that's what I believe, you have to say it. And I think it's learning that confidence of, you know, speaking your truth right? and having the courage to say it, even if somebody else doesn't agree. Right. And, and making sure that you, you actually give yourself courage to make mistakes because oftentimes we think, oh gosh, I'm just not going to say it because they're going to think I'm stupid or, you know, I'm going to make a mistake. It's good to make mistakes, right? It's good to make mistakes. Yeah. And, and Albert Einstein had said, you know, you, you have to, you have to make like, thousands of mistakes before you even get to was it Albert Einstein or was that was yeah. that Edison? I think it was Edison. One of them. <laughs> but, but, but also it's the whole, I don't want them to think we we can't all we can control are our own actions and activities. I can't control your opinion of me. No matter I could I could think I'm being perfect and you may still think oh, she was okay. That's garbage. Get it out of your head. And really and I do tell myself that on a daily basis just control your actions and activities because that's all you can do. And yeah. it's a total shift in mindset, especially as I started becoming more vocal on social media. Yeah. I had a guy early on in 2010 who said, it's really great. You share articles. I can tell you're passionate. Why are you not commenting on them? Well, I don't want to create controversy, which is funny because anybody who knows me now, I'm all about the controversy. <laughs> and so, but, it, and I mean that in a positive way, like let's yes. have a conversation. So if I'm sharing an article about X 
realtors, or excuse me, ex-retailers expansion, I am now commenting, what a great article. Isn't it awesome they're doing this? Yeah. And sometimes people will comment. They're like, I can't believe you said that. And I actually don't think that's a good thing. All right, well, great. You just created an awesome conversation that we should be having. So it's, again, finding that authentic voice and forgetting about the noise. Exactly. And speaking of which, right? So I was going to ask you about if there was one thing that you want the listeners to take away from your episode, what would that be? And I'm looking behind you. There is that frame that you hung there and and read it to us and, and then talk a little bit about why you have that on your wall. So this is my favorite. And it says, I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. And I look at that every single day, multiple times a day, but that's how I start my day. And I have another one. It's my two favorite. And it says she believed she could. So she did. Yeah. And it's a constant reminder to be, to be a positive voice of change. Yes, yes. And the one greatest piece of advice I can say to somebody is find your passion. If there's something you don't like, don't accept it and be, right. be the, that positive agent of change and always, always follow your gut. I believe in the red flags. If something doesn't feel right, listen to your intuition. I so many times push down my intuition and then the same red flags just continue to come up. Yeah. Listen to them. And I know it's scary because sometimes it means walking away from a deal or a relationship, whether it's personal or professional, or maybe it's even your company and going somewhere else. And all of that is really scary. Right. But you know what? The next thing I promise is even greater. It always is. It always is. It always is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, I wanted to hand over the mic to you at this point. And have you asked me one question? Be kind. (laughs) I can't wait to put you on the hot seat here. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. First of all, for like, if nobody knows, I mean, for those of you who don't know Veronica, she is amazing. And I'm grateful to be part of a women's influential group with her. And when we're together brainstorming in this group, when you talk, Veronica, like everybody listens like you are just so so smart and dynamic and passionate and just like you're a beacon and we are the power beacons but you're that's right thank you and just your experience level and your wealth of knowledge and I remember when we were recently in Orlando and I was listening to you talk you were sitting actually on the side I mean we're on the couch if you remember this and just I caught myself in a moment where everybody was just looking at you and the one thing I, I wanted to ask you and I love that I get to put you on the hot seat so to speak How long have you been in the industry? Oh, 25 years, actually, because, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. You look at Veronica when she got into this, young Veronica, when you got into this industry. If you were sitting across from her right now, knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? So I would definitely look her in the eye and I would say, don't worry too much about what people think. Right. Because I I think growing up and let me tell you, Dina, I grew up in Manila, Philippines, totally different culture from the United States. And I don't know, as I as I look back, I think to myself, the young self that that I was then was very much driven by what other people thought. Mm -hmm. And I think that's cultural one. Yeah. And there is a saying in the Philippines. Ano na lang ang sasabihin nila. That means 
what would they say? Right. That's a natural saying. Right. Wow. And, and parents. Yeah. Parents. Parents are normally would say, don't do that or don't do this because or don't say this or don't say that because. What would they say if you did or said said that? And I think growing up, I, I always kind of thought to myself, well, if I you know, put a path together for myself, what would they say? That was always the driving force for me. And then I found out like like what you did, you found your voice eventually. I found my voice a lot later in life because I moved to the United States when I was already a, a mature adult. I was 27. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I actually was going through a very, very difficult divorce and I was aimless. I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And, and I moved from state to state, you know, living with my sisters who God bless them. They took me in and, and, held me close and, and really, you know, just, just they're, they're my best friends. Let me tell you, I have four sisters. They're wow. all my neighbors. They're all my neighbors. And and my mother lives in my sister's house and we're all neighbors. So it's, it's really fantastic. Strong females. I love that. Yeah. And, and boy, you'll get a chance to meet them when you come and visit because they're a fantastic women. Let me tell you, oh, very smart. Yeah. They're, they're really fantastic. Different, different uh, vocations, but really fantastic. But yes, I would tell my younger self, don't worry too much about what other people think. Yeah. Because you have to find some time. And that's why I meditate a lot. I pray a lot, actually, Dina. It's because I want to be anchored. Mm -hmm. I want to be anchored and I want to understand kind of my direction is is actually set by someone higher than me, right? Bigger than me. Yeah. And if I don't sit and be quiet and be silent, I will not hear his voice, right? And everything in the background is all noise. And you talked about noise, right? And for instance, you're right. You know, most of the time I'm in a room, either pitching or, or negotiating, and I'm the only female. And I have to be so prepared like you, and I usually am overprepared. I love what you just said about that. Man yeah. or woman, you have to be overprepared. And in the first five to 10 minutes, my goal is always to get their confidence. Yes. To let them, to let them feel that we are not going to be just lost in, in, in all the conversation. We are leading, right? Right. And so, and so, yes, that would be what I would tell my younger self is oh. stop listening to the noise. Take some time for yourself. Listen to the higher voice. And that's where you're going to find your voice. Oh. And I think to me, that's, you know, that's, that's hopefully something that my daughter and my other children would at least remember that I said those words. Oh my so, gosh. I feel that in my chest. Your daughter oh, must be so you. proud of you. Oh, and, and I wanted to tell you a little story about my daughter. So we, between my husband and I, we raised five children, believe it or wow. not. <laughs> And, you know, second marriages for both of us. And, and yeah. we gave birth to our daughter who is now turning 20. Oh, happy month. birthday. Yeah. And at three and a half months old, she was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. Yeah. We, we went through two and a half years of chemo and two major brain oh. surgeries. And by faith alone, she was healed. And so she's very, still very close to, to, to me personally, because she still lives with us yeah. and she's now going on to university and, um, yeah. And she's always curious as to what I'm doing. And, and I want to always give her great words of, of wisdom, at least that I've, I've learned from others. 
And also that learned from my experiences. So yeah, the youth is just so, so important that we as mentors touch, right? It's so important. It's, it's our, it's our responsibility. I mean, it it really is. And, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but a lot of the women that I've mentored, these young women who, okay, I'm going to go on this train of thought and I have to tell you really quickly something I read about younger people that you're mentoring that are younger, but I have a lot of these young ladies who say to me, oh my gosh, how do I pay you back? I go, it's not paying back. It's paying it forward. Exactly. That's, you know, do this for somebody else because then we all lift each other up as a collective, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, what I was going to say is I read this article about a year ago and it it said that it's just as important, like when you have mentors, to have mentors who like age-wise, literally who are younger than you. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And it said, because, you know, and, and ideally the next generation, right? Like I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. So like, I need the millennial, like, or yeah. no, why actually, yeah, or a millennial or whatever. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And I realized all these women that I'm mentoring in this Goldie program, you know, they're one or two generations behind me. And I always say, I learn as much from them as they do from me because it's the questions they ask and even the mindset, right? Like they're coming from a totally different generation. Oh, for sure. (laughs) My generation was the last to know life before the internet. And all of a sudden now we're dealing with people who, you know, they're doing deals like on Twitter Messenger. I'm like, what? But instead of judging, because sometimes I did judge, it's asking those probing questions and understanding where their mindset is. And it gives me a different mindset and it makes me more open and worldly yeah. and all the things that I thought that was, that was a really cool article. And I, I encourage people to have mentors of different generations, ethnicity, gender. I have male, yeah. right? And I think- Oh, absolutely. It, yeah, it's, like your, it's like your council, like your, your own board of advisors. Yeah, that's amazing how you put, put it that way. Wow. I look forward to really just spending more time with you at National Association of Realtors yeah. and, you know, our Power Beacon group, uh, this yep. powerful group of women from all over the country. And, you know, this has been such a great time spending with you, Dina. I, I appreciate you so much. And I know that our our listeners and subscribers will really just keep going back to listening to you because you're you're just like this wonderful wonderful person. So I thank you. I thank you. So honored to be your first guest. Are you kidding me? So excited. Me, come on. (laughs) Oh yes, it had to be Dina Zimmerman. So thank you. Thank you, you, friend. Bye. Bye. This was so fun. (laughs) So much fun. Thank you.